turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 14. This morning we're going to do something a little bit unusual that I believe is, is demanded by the text itself. For Jesus has a long conversation with his disciples on this evening before his going to the cross. And he begins this passage with chapter 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And the same theme, the same conversation goes on with many parts of it to the end of chapter 16. And you can see how the way Jesus ends, it's on the same subject. He says, the end of chapter 16, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. But in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. As other translations put it, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. But the fact is, they are troubled. As are we in this day and time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless our study of this portion of your word. That we would find this conversation that Jesus had with his disciples to be quite reassuring because he has something in store for us that is beyond what we would ask or imagine. And I pray that we would see ourselves in the disciples who kept looking at the here and now, at this world. They were troubled, and he had to work hard to get them to look beyond to see what he was preparing for them and what he was preparing them for. And I pray that this would become a great blessing and comfort to us in our day and time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why would Jesus, why would his disciples be troubled in this time? It's more than just the general troubles. We identify with the, the general troubles, and we can sp begin to specify some specific troubles that we're facing. But in the previous chapter, uh, Jesus tells uh, his disciples that one of them is going to betray him. And they were undone by that. They didn't know what to say. They had no clue that one of them was spinning off, that Judas was turning sour on Jesus. They didn't understand, but you can see how that's troubling. And then the next thing Jesus says is that he's about to leave them. He's going to leave them. He says in verse 33 of chapter 13, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You'll look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I'm going, you cannot come. And in this context, Peter says, why can't we follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. And Peter, and Jesus predicts that Peter will deny knowing him three times. So to put it maybe in today's language, it could be your, one of your elders is going to stab your pastor in the back. Your pastor is going to leave. And the lead elder, the one you admire the most, is going to, to disown Christ. Would you be troubled? This is even more than that. This is the perfect pastor. This is Jesus himself. And one of his 12 is going to betray him. Another is going to deny knowing him, and Jesus is leaving them. So yes, they were troubled. And Jesus begins this great chapter of comfort. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. 
So other translations put it, you believe in God. I believe it begins with a point that he's not contesting. He said, you believe in God, believe me in me as you believe in God. Trust me as you trust God. I will not leave you alone. I will not lead you astray. I am doing something for you that you haven't even asked for. And see, that's the word of comfort, saying, trust me. And where does Jesus go in this conversation? It doesn't go to something in this world that he's going to make better. That's where we want to go to get comfort, to have a reassurance. We want to know that this world will be all right. But Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. The idea of many rooms is not many cubby holes that we're going to have some small place in this big heaven. It's there is much room. And I'm going to prepare heaven for you. And on my way, I've got to go through the cross to prepare you for heaven. That's Jesus' comfort. Now, what are we troubled about today? Oh, there are some great troubles, things that Jesus himself grieved over. We've had in our congregation the death of one of our own, Larry Prentice. We have the threat with Kathy Bitzer being diagnosed as positive with COVID-19 in her nursing home. We have all sorts of challenges with jobs and family dynamics. You know the ones in your life. There is much to be troubled about. Even as we announce that we're going to begin to get back together for worship, it, it doesn't look like it did before. It's not like we can just turn it on and, and everything is back the same. We're working our way through this. Uh, different people have different ideas. We're not opening up fast enough or we're, we're not being careful enough. There, there's lots to be troubled about in this world. In fact, at the end of chapter 16, Jesus said something that is not terribly reassuring. When he says, in this world, you will have trouble. Hmm, you will. He's not fixing that. He did miracles to address small things. I mean, there were great miracles, even raising Lazarus from the dead. But that was only a small fix in the light of all the troubles in all the world. Jesus, Jesus has an agenda that is not to make us uh, more comfortable in a world that is separated from God by sin. His agenda is to reconcile us to God so that we may go forever to be with him in his father's house. I ask you, is that a comfort to you? If it's not, I just call on you to think about the Lord more deeply. And what is it that your comfort is in? Will it be here a hundred years from now? If it were all fixed would it fix everything for you or to just postpone the inevitable of life in this fallen world that ends in sickness, accident, death? For us to have the kind of comfort that Jesus would give us, we need to realize in this world we'll have trouble, but Jesus is going to prepare a place for us in the next world that is glorious. And on his way, he is preparing us for that place by his work on the cross. That's the gospel. That's the hope we have. And that at the center of it all is a loving relationship. We're going to look at this passage from the outside in. I'm going to look at some, some of the parts of it from chapter 14, some parts of it from chapter 16, and next week we're going to come to chapter 15, which is the center of it, the heart of it, that describes the loving relationship between God the Father and God the Son, 
between God the Son and his disciples and the call that Jesus gives to his disciples, love one another. At the heart of this is not just some cold, disinterested promise that buck up now in this fallen world. There's a better place to come. At the heart of all of this is a loving relationship that God the Father sent his Son to reconcile us to himself, that we may be with him forever. Hear the love of Jesus coming out in this. He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Mary and I dated for three years in college, and we both had been on summer schools, uh, ventures, and in the quarter system. That meant in the spring before we got married in June, we were separate from one another for three months. And that was, at the same time, hard to leave and be separate, and yet a sweet time because we knew what was coming. We could say goodbye and say, the next time we meet, it'll be over our wedding. There's joy in that, even though we didn't like being apart very much. As Jesus has told his disciples, I'm leaving in a little while and you can't come with me now. You'll come later. But I'm coming back for you to take you to be with me where I am. That's the promise. His disciples weren't listening. Jesus had two things that he wanted to get across in this long conversation. What we're going to do is read through this passage, and I want you to catch the dynamics of the conversation. Because Jesus wants to get across to them, I'm leaving you, but I'm coming back for you to take you to be with me. And he says, while I'm gone, I'm going to sit in the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, I will come to you. The Holy Spirit has been with you as I have been with you. But when I go to the Father, he will come to live in you. And through the Holy Spirit, I will come to live in you. Even this state that we live in right now is closer to God through Jesus Christ because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Whereas the disciples walked around Israel with Jesus, we live in Jesus and he in us. Those are the two things that Jesus wants to get across. He's leaving but coming back. And while he's gone, he's sending the Holy Spirit. The disciples get stuck. Have you ever had that conversation? Perhaps every one of you could say, yes, this is the conversation I have with my husband, or this is the conversation I have with my wife, or this is the conversation I have with my kids, where you have something you want to get across. And you start into it, and they pick up on something, and they start going down the rabbit trail. And you have to pull them back and pull them back. Jesus is doing that with his disciples. I think every one of us can identify with that, can't we? Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Now, if you had been there, we always think we would have responded better. If we just, we would have listened to Jesus. If Jesus is saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you in my Father's house, in God's house, in heaven, and I'm coming back to get you and to take you to be there, what would you think you'd say? Say, tell me about it. Tell me about where you're taking me. But the disciples are stuck on the here and now. You're leaving us? You're leaving? And Thomas, which is famous for being doubting Thomas, but I love Thomas. He asks the honest questions. He says, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus didn't give them directions on how to get there. He's coming back for them. And as he's, every time he says in this uh, gospel at this point, he says, I'm going to the Father. It includes the events on the way to his ascension back to glory. It includes his going to the cross and paying for sin. It includes his resurrection from the dead and his appearing to his disciples. Then his ascension and going to the Father. When he says, I'm going to the Father, he's not saying I'm going to the Father without accomplishing the work I came to do. I'm going to the Father having been Redeemer, having paid the penalty for sin. This is the victory. So when he says, I'm going to the Father, he's not deserting them. He's accomplishing for them what he came to do. And he points to himself, not to a roadmap, to say, I am the way and the truth and the life. He's essentially saying what he said up in verse 1, you trust in God? Trust me. Just follow me. Depend on me. I'll take you there. This is the truth. I wouldn't deceive you. And I'm leading you to life. That's what I've come to give you. Life more abundantly. If you really knew me, you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Notice this dynamic in the conversation. Jesus just said, from now on, you do know him and have seen him, seen the Father. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. I think this is the moment where Jesus went, I just said, you've seen the Father. He's been saying before the Pharisees, my Father, I do only what my Father is doing. I am showing you what my Father is doing. I am obedient to my Father in every way. I am, you, if you see me, you've seen the Father. He said it before, not in those words, but in substance, enough so that the Pharisees knew his claim to be equal with God. And since they didn't believe, they believed it to be blasphemy. They got it, and his own disciples didn't. So it shows the Father. They're still in grief. You know, when you're in grief, it's hard to see past the troubles, isn't it? And there's grief that is just the expression of love, and it is a sweet expression when we are facing the troubles in the fallen world. There are things that are right to grieve over. As we grieve with those who are suffering in our congregation, we weep with those who weep. But we don't despair in that grief. I'm not trying to call you to say, hear these words and then don't grieve anymore. Grieve over the right things as an expression of love. When you and your family, your friends are hurting, when you're separated by death and all those big events, there's reason to grieve. But look to Christ and remember how he comforts us in our grief. Philip said in his grief, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. No, you're leaving. Just show us the Father and we'll try to be content with that. And Jesus says, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've, after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and that the Father's in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Do you think that Jesus is beginning to repeat himself? Yes, he is in this conversation and things he has already said before. We've read it before. Why is he repeating himself? Because we need to hear it. 
We're so hard of hearing, it's hard to get through to us that what Jesus is doing is reconciling us to God, God the Father, and he's taking us to be in his Father's house forever. And so he's, he's just reiterating it, emphasizing it. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. Get ready for this one. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. People have just lifted this verse and said, I can make God do anything I want. That's not what this passage is saying. Jesus has called his disciples and said, follow me. In the very next verse, he'll say, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. We are given to Christ. For us to pray in, in Jesus' name is to say, Lord, you are Lord. I am your follower. I stand united to Christ, and I pray to the Heavenly Father that you would accomplish your will for me, in me. I lay these requests before you, but I trust you to know best. That is the prayer of faith. Now, what is it that is the greater work that his disciples will do that Jesus didn't do? Is there anything greater than Jesus' own resurrection from the dead? Is any one of the rest of us paying uh, the, the penalty of sin for someone else? There are things that Jesus did that are un, unequaled, unsurpassed. So that can't be the greater than. Matter of fact, if you ask Jesus, what was the work that the Father sent you to do? He wouldn't have said, it's to do these miracles. He would have said, it's to go to the, to the cross to redeem you from your sins. That's the work I came to do. The miracles are just testimony. They are evidence that what I'm claiming, what I'm doing is true. Because no one can do these miracles except to be sent from God. So if the work of God is to reconcile us to the Father through the cross, then what's the greater work that we would do? How many people did Jesus actually reach with this gospel? He told his disciples, wait in Jerusalem until you receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And unto the ends of the earth. Jesus didn't go to the ends of the, of the earth. But his desire is to be the redeemer of all that the Father would give him, who would put their hope and trust in him. The disciples are going to be the messengers, the part of that work that expands all over the world. That's the greater work. Now hang on to that, because the disciples still aren't quite getting it. They're not listening, and they're a good step behind with their next question. Jesus goes on to tell them about the Holy Spirit that he promises to them. And I'm going to come back to that passage, but I want you to see the next question in verse 22 that Judas asks. Now, this is Judas, and the Bible tells us, not Judas Iscariot. How would you like to have been named Judas among the, the bands of the disciples? Did you even know and remember that there was another disciple named Judas? Every time after the, the betrayal, this Judas would have to say, my name's Judas, I'm not Judas Iscariot. How many parents name their kids Judas now? Not, not many. If they do, it's not because they're thinking about Judas Iscariot. And then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, but Lord, 
Why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Now, this was the first real question the disciples had asked. When Thomas uh, made his statement, it was more of a statement than a question. So, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? That's a question, but his statement was, we don't know where you're going. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That would be enough for us. That's not a question. That's more of a, of a demand. You do this for us, and that'll be enough. What an insult there. Jesus himself is not sufficient. How many times do we pray, Lord, you do this, and that'll be enough? As though what you've already done is not enough for us. This one's a real question. Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. Now notice the dynamic in this conversation. Now take you back to verse 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. He's addressing the 12. He's addressing his disciples. Judas actually has gone on and left. So there are 11 of them left. And there may be some of the others that accompany the disciples that are in the crowd uh, too. But he's speaking to his disciples, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. And Judas, not Iscariot, says, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Then the power is in that word, anyone. If anyone loves me, this is the gospel for all the world. He is going to tell them, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be my messengers. You're going to take this to all the world. You're a part of that greater work through the power of the Holy Spirit as you bear witness to me. So that's uh, Jesus' answer there, but we ought to come back now to uh, the Holy Spirit. Hang on to those questions. We're going to have a clincher when we turn over to, to chapter 16. Jesus now gets to the second thing he really wants to tell his disciples. The first is about his departing and what he's going to do for them to prepare a place for them. And the second is about the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter to be, to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Let's pause there and make sure we understand this. They already know the Holy Spirit. He's been with them. He's been with them all through the Old Testament. The uh, pillar of fire by uh, night, the pillar of cloud by day that we sang about earlier in this service. He has been with the disciples uh, through the person of Christ as the Holy Spirit came down uh, at the baptism of Jesus and, and dwelt Jesus. And as with the mystery of the Trinity, to be with Jesus is to be with God, to be with the Holy Spirit. But they're not yet washed. They're not yet cleansed of sin. They're not yet ready yet to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's after Jesus does his saving work on the cross. And then Pentecost happens. And he sends the Holy Spirit to indwell his people, to live in them. So that's point number one there. But don't, don't miss the second point. When he says... I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Through the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus himself comes to you. In his resurrected body, he is seated at the right hand of the Father. But by the Holy Spirit, to have the Spirit is to have Christ. Just as Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Our minds are blown here. 
This is the mystery of the Trinity. It's too big for us to fully comprehend, but we can get it. And do you get it? That Christ lives in you through the Holy Spirit. That is a, a, a deeper, closer relationship than the disciples had when they were walking around Israel with Jesus. And notice the difference in the power after the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and they went out and proclaimed Christ. They gave their lives for Christ. They went on to heaven glorying in his name. When he was with them, they kept not quite getting it. Where, where are you right now? You're still not quite getting it. It's like, but Lord, if you're there, do this for me. Fix this earthly problem. That'll be enough. Or is it, I get it. You have made me your own. You've made me a child of the Father. You have sent the Holy Spirit, and you are my Savior. You belong. I, I belong to you, and you belong to me. In fact, we live within one another. Is that, it's, it's a spiritual dynamic. It's hard to explain, but it's true. It's what Jesus is teaching. He says, before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me, because I live you also will live. On that day, you'll realize that I am in the Father, and you're in me, and I am in you. Whoever obeys my hears my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. All of that is the high teaching of Jesus. And it just went whoop over the disciples' mind. That's when Judas asked his question. And it kind of goes over our minds, too. I ask you to dwell on that. Think about that this week. What does it mean for you to be in Christ and Christ to be in you because he's given you the Holy Spirit? Jesus went on to say in verse 25, all of this I have spoken while still with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Notice the conversational dynamic here. He's been teaching them and they ask questions they're kind of rabbit trails. They're not getting the point. He answers their questions. He keeps coming back. But when the Holy Spirit comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, I know you don't understand now, but he'll remind you of everything that I've said. In chapter 16, he says, and he will lead you into all truth. And then he comes back to the main point. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. In this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Right here, he says, peace, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And he comes back to the main issue, the reason they're so troubled. You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you'd be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I've told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you'll believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Into the first stage of this conversation. It's like, what? What's he saying? Don't you identify with the disciples trying to get at what Jesus is saying here? And you may even say, what's Harry saying? I'm just reading Jesus here. What's Jesus saying? Hang in there with Jesus. Right in the middle of that, he said, if you love me, you'd be glad to go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now, we know in the understanding of the Trinity that the Father is not only equal with the Son and the Son equal with the Father. They are one. 
That's the whole point. So what does it mean greater? He's in a position of greater glory. The Father sent the Son. The Son did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he came down to earth and became one of us. The disciples got a glimpse of that at the transfiguration. And when they saw the glory of Jesus, along with, with uh, uh, Elijah and Moses tending to him, they got a glimpse into heaven. Right now, Jesus is in a state of humility, humiliation, as he is on earth. He said, if you love me, you'd be glad for me to ascend back to glory. See, how often are we really thinking of glorifying our Savior? Because we love him in, re in response to his love for us. Or are we thinking, prove yourself to me. Prove it by doing this for me. You just do this and it'll be enough. You see, if that's our approach constantly, we will always be troubled because this world will always be fallen and we will always have trouble in it. And we'll keep wanting God to do our bidding instead of us giving ourselves to him and saying, your will be done. You be glorified. Hallowed be your name. And then when we turn there, we say, and what is it that you've done for us? Our Savior has gone before us to prepare a place for us in that same glory. And he's coming back to get us, to take us there. It's more like when Mary and I were separated three months before our wedding. We look forward to getting back together on our wedding day. It's that kind of thing, only a thousand times more glorious and grand. Is that the way we live in this fallen world? Next week, I'm going to pick up the vine and the branches and develop uh, what it means to abide in Christ and he and us more fully and, and the love relationship that is at the heart of it. I want to pick up in chapter 16, verse 5, before we leave this uh, passage for good. In chapter 5, Jesus says, Now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks me, Where are you going? I had to do a double take there. I thought, well, wait a minute, they've been asking him all about it. Didn't Thomas say, we don't know the way where you're going? That, doesn't that imply that he wants to go where Jesus is going? And we look back and, and saw Thomas didn't ask, where are you going? He just said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? When Philip asked, he said, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough. That's a little closer. We want to know something of heaven and God in his uh, heavenly presence. Show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us here and now. Uh, Judas, not Iscariot, is even more earthly when he says, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? You're the Messiah. Do it now. Do it on the grand scale. Fix it all now. Jesus says, why don't you ask, where am I going? That's the place of glory. That's the place I'm taking you. And, and none of us can actually avoid this issue. If you live with perfect health to the age of 100 and die, your life is blessed. And then what? You see, this is the big issue. Where is Jesus going? Where's that place he's preparing for us? What is he coming back to take us to? That's our destiny if we belong to Christ. Because if we belong to Christ, we go with him in that spiritual sense to the cross where he pays for our sins. We are resurrected with him, breaking the power of death. And we ascend with him to glory to live with him forever. That's the gospel. Jesus says, you don't ask me where you're going. Because I've said these things, you are filled with grief. Here's the wonderful thing about the gentle, patient teaching of Jesus. He's, 
letting them know that they're not looking up enough with faith. But see how tender he is. He still says, but your grief will turn to joy. You may be faltering right now. You may be floundering. The circumstances in our congregation are all over the place. Some, some really at the depths, uh, you know, facing uh, death, having experienced death, facing all sorts of things in this world. But Jesus says, if you're floundering, it's okay. Your grief will turn to joy. Let's see how he says it. I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. He returns to that subject. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment, in regard to sin because men do not believe in me, in regard to righteousness because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer, and in regard to judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. A lot to unpack in there that we don't have time to unpack, except that it's the gospel. The, we're separated from God by sin, Jesus is sending his gospel, the good news of what he's accomplished on the cross to all the world because we need it. We don't believe in him. We need the Holy Spirit to convict us of our need of Christ. To convict the world regarding sin, regarding righteousness, because Jesus has gone to the Father. Remember, going to the Father, he had to go through the cross, rise from the dead, go to the Father. It's only in his righteousness, not in ours, where our sins are dealt with, and his righteousness is given to us. And in judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned, we look at the fallen world and think suffering wins, evil wins. We despair. No, the one who brought all this havoc is already condemned. And the Holy Spirit will help us, will open our eyes so that we can see this. And we can turn to Christ. And he'll do this not just for Israel, not just for his disciples, not just for Israel, but for the whole world. Wow. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of, of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. These disciples that understood so little will be reminded of everything that Jesus has said. The spirit will lead them into all truth, and it results in the New Testament completing the Bible for us. All that the Spirit has shown them is available to us. If we open the Word of God and turn to its pages and see what the Spirit has revealed. And he opens our eyes to be able to see it and understand it. Verse 16, in a little while you will see me no more. And then after a little while you will see me. He turns to the theme of departure. Some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean saying, in a little while you'll see me no more. And then after a little while... Uh, you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father, they kept saying, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. How many times has he repeated this? And they don't understand. Boy, I identify with the disciples. Probably you do too. At this point in the sermon, reading all these words of Jesus, you say, what is he saying? What does it mean? Let's try to keep it clear. Jesus says, I'm leaving to prepare a place for you, and I'm coming back to get you so that you can be with me where I am forever. That's glory. And you can be comforted by that. And while I'm gone, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit, so I'll be with you even now in this fallen world. Those are the two big things. And as he repeats himself, he says, this you can find, you can be comforted in. Don't let your hearts be troubled. 
But they're just thinking, what does he mean? What does he mean? Jesus saw they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you'll see me? I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while this wor world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Now, I don't know about you, but if we're just living for life in this world, that's not very comforting. <laughs> Jesus just said, you're going to weep in this world. You're going to grieve in this world, but your grief will turn to joy. And then he makes this illustration. We pointed it out in the earlier passage. We pointed forward to this. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. We are in labor pains in this world, folks. Every part of this virus, every part of illness, all the things that we can't get to with the jobs and everything because of the, uh, the, the, the virus. The virus is just one small little part of this fallen world. If it weren't for the virus, we'd still have a fallen world. We're in labor pains. But there's purpose to labor because of the child to be born, the life yet to come. That's the way we should see this life in the life to come that we find in Jesus Christ. And that day you'll no longer ask me anything. We'll ask directly of the Father. Got to cut to the end of the passage here from the disciples. One more dynamic in the conversation. Jesus says, though I've been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you'll ask in my name. He goes on to talk about how I'll speak plainly to them. I will in the future. He's got to go to the cross first. He's got to rise from the dead first for them to really get it. They can't see it now. But the disciples do what we do in human nature. In verse 29, then the Jesus' disciples said, now you're speaking clearly and without figures of speech. He didn't say I'm speaking clearly now. They weren't listening then. He said, a time will come when I'll speak to you clearly. He said, now you're speaking clearly. We get it. Go to the head of the class. Now I can see you know all things and you do not even need to to have anyone ask you questions. They had gotten the point that they've been asking the wrong questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. You believe at last, Jesus answered. I think he said that like, yeah, right. Do you get that? Because of the next thing he says, it's like, they're saying, we see clearly, you're speaking clearly, we understand, we get it all. You believe at last? Guess what? Time is coming and has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me all alone. Yet I'm not alone, for my Father is with me. I tell you what, folks, we falter all the time. We falter in our faith. We look at the earthly circumstances. We get discouraged. We get troubled. And we, we keep missing out on the promise of Jesus that he's gone to prepare a place for us to come back and get us and take us to that better place. We are engaged to him. We are betrothed to him. We are his bride. And there's excitement ahead. And while he's gone, he comes to us through the Holy Spirit to live in us. And that's a love relationship. And that is our hope and comfort in life. So that when Jesus says, in this world, you'll have trouble. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. This was comforting to me at one of those big times that many of you know in your life. When uh, my mother passed away 
two years ago and the year before, I had been thinking about you know, what was about to happen. She was confined to her bed for the last two years of her life. And I thought about this passage, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I was thinking about what Jesus had done. And it began to, to, to become a song. And Mike has helped me put it together. This is a song that it was for my mother, her departure, turning to this passage to bring comfort. And if you're at this kind of low point in life and frustrated, I pray that this song would be a blessing to you as it would look to Christ for life and victory over sadness and death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless this passage. It was a long conversation Jesus had with his disciples. We've covered it so rapidly that we might, we have not been fair to it at all. But we do identify with the disciples when so much goes over our heads. But let us get the point that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. And he has prepared us for that place by his work on the cross. And even now, in this fallen world full of trouble, he is with us through the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.